Chapter 10 of Armageddon 2419 AD. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arnie Horton. Armageddon 2419 AD by Philip Francis Nolan. Chapter 10 The Walls of Hell. The traitors were, it seemed, a degenerate gang of Americans located a few miles north of New York on the wooded banks of the Hudson, the Sin Sings. They had exchanged scraps of information to the hands in return for several old repeller ray machines and the privilege of tuning in on the hand electronic power broadcasts for their operation, provided their ships agreed to subject themselves to the orders of the hand traffic office while aloft. The rest wanted to ultraphone their news at once, since there was always danger that we might never get back to the gang with it. I objected, however. The Sinsings would be likely to pick up our message, even if we used the directional projector. They might have a scout out to the west and south in the big inter-gang stretches of the country. They would flee to New York and escape the punishment they merited. It seemed to be vitally important that they should not for the sake of example to other weak groups among the American gangs, as well as to prevent a crisis in which they might clear more vital information to the enemy. Out to sea again, I ordered, Gibbons. They'll be less likely to look for us in that direction. Easy, boss, easy, he replied. Wait until we get up a mile or two more. They must have discovered evidence of our raid by now, and their disarray wall may go in operation any moment. Even as he spoke, the ship lurched downward and to one side. There it is, he shouted. Hang on, everybody. We're going to nose straight up. And he flipped the rocket motor control wide open. Looking through one of the rear ports, I could see a nebulous, luminous ring. And on all sides, the atmosphere took on a faint iridescence. We were almost over the destructive range of the disintegrator wall. A hollow cylinder of annihilation shooting upward from a solid ring of generators surrounding the city. It was the main defense system of the hands, which had never been used except in periodic tests. They may or may not have suspected that an American rocket ship was within the cylinder. Probably they had turned on their generators more as a precaution to prevent any reaching position above the city. But even at our present great height, we were in great danger. It was a question how much we might have been harmed by the rays themselves for their effective range was not much more than seven or eight miles. The greater danger lay in the terrific downward rush of air within the cylinder to replace that which was being burned into nothingness by the continual play of the disintegrators. Air fell into the cylinder with the force of a gale. It would be rushing toward the wall from outside with terrific force also, but, naturally, the effect was intensified on the interior. Our ship vibrated and trembled. We had only one chance of escape, to fight our way well above the current. To drift down with it meant ultimately and inevitably to be sucked into the destruction wall at some lower level. But very gradually and jerkily our upward movement, as shown on the indicators, began to increase, and after an hour of desperate struggle we were free of the maelstrom and into the rarefied upper levels. The terror beneath us was now invisible through several layers of cloud formations. Gibbons brought the ship back to an even keel and drove her eastward into one of the most brilliantly gorgeous sunrises I have ever seen. 
we described a great circle to the south and west in a long easy dive for he had cut out his rocket motors to save them as much as possible we had drawn terrifically on their fuel reserves in our battle with the elements for the moment the atmosphere below cleared and we could see the jersey coast far beneath like a great map we're not through yet remarked gibbons suddenly pointing at his periscope and adjusting it to telescopic focus a hand ship and a drop ship at that and he's seen us if he whips that beam on us we're done i gazed fascinated at the viewplate what i saw was a cigar-shaped ship not dissimilar to our own in design and from the proportional size of its ports of about the same size as our swoopers we learned later that they carried crews for the most part not more than three or four men they had streamlined hulls and tails that embodied universal jointed double fish tail rudders in operation they rose to great heights on their powerful repeller rays then gathered speed either by a straight nose dive or an inclined dive in which they sometimes used the repeller ray slanted at a sharp angle he was already above us though several miles to the north he could of course try to get on our tail and spear us with his beam as he dropped at us from a great height suddenly his beam blazed forth in a blinding flash whipping downward slowly to our right he went through a peculiar corkscrew-like evolution evidently maneuvering to bring his beam to bear on us with a spiral motion gibbons instantly sent our ship into a series of evolutions that must have looked like those of a frightened hen alternately he used a forward and reverse rocket blast and in varying degree we fluttered we shot suddenly to right and left and dropped like a plummet in uncertain movements but all the time the hand scout dropped toward us determinedly whipping the air around us with his beam once it sliced across beneath us not more than a hundred feet and we dropped with a jar into the pocket formed by the destruction of the air he had dropped to within a mile of us and was coming with the speed of a projectile when the end came gibbons always swore it was sheer luck maybe it was but i like pilots who are lucky that way in the midst of a dizzy fluttering maneuver of our own with the hen ship enlarging to our gaze with terrifying rapidity and its beam slowly slicing toward us in what looked like certain destruction within the second i saw gibbons fingers flick at the lever of his rocket gun and a split second later the handship flew apart like a clay pigeon we staggered and fluttered crazily for several moments while gibbons struggled to bring our ship into balance and a section of about four square feet in the side of the ship near the stern slowly crumbled like rusted metal his beam actually had touched us but our explosive rocket had got him a thousandth of a second sooner part of our rudder had been annihilated and our motor damaged but we are able to swoop gently back across jersey fortunately crossing the ship lanes without sighting any more handcraft and finally settling to rest in the little glade beneath the trees near hart's camp end of chapter ten